If you're a founder, business owner, or someone who's trying to figure it out and you've ever felt frustrated, frantic, or unfulfilled, then you're in the right place. My name is Tara Payton. I'm a marketing strategist and consultant who's worked with hundreds of founders. And I am here to tell you there is a space for you to center yourself, get focused, experience fulfillment, and live in flow because you deserve it. I am here to walk you through the phases of life and business most won't, and we will own each stage together. Sometimes I'll be joined by other founders, friends, and special guests who are willing to share the highs and lows of their journey and have since found their own flow. Welcome to Found the Flow. Now let's get you to step into yours. I am joined here by a very special guest, Karina Glover, and I want to tell this story. She's going to talk all about the great things and how she's building the next billion dollar tech company, right? But I want to give you your flowers because I don't know if you are aware, when I first went into entrepreneurship in 2020, one of my first speaking opportunities was with her headquarters. At the Power Players Conference? Yes. I didn't know that. You, I, and you were actually one of the most memorable speakers, actually. Oh, so thank you. that's crazy that it was one of your first ones. It I was did like not know my that. second one. So I started um, full time entrepreneurship in July. Okay. And your conference, I think, was at the end of that month, mm-hmm. or like maybe like the week of. And so yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for that. I remember I didn't know that. pitching for that and all of that. So it's great that we're here. Yeah. And full circle. Chat. Yes, definitely full circle. So I want to jump into, I'm just going to jump into um, some deep stuff real quick. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's get this out the way. <laughs> I want to ask. Rip the bandit off. Let, just take it <laughs> off, right? Um, 90 days in the desert. Mm-hmm. You smiling? Yeah, what I know does you're that mean to, to you. Uh, <laughs> Ninety days in the desert. What that means to me is, I think everyone goes through a season where it's it's you're in the deep end, literally. Uh, you might feel like you are drowning. You feel the pressure. You feel like you're out here by yourself. Um, and it was in my entrepreneurial journey, I've had lots of hardships. Like I'm not new to the struggle of being a business owner, mm-hmm. but 90 days in the desert was by far um, the hardest season of being a business owner and the closest I've ever been to quitting um, mm-hmm. and not caring about why I started. Um, mm-hmm. If I almost drowned, it was in the desert. I know that, you know, but. So why did you start her headquarters? Um. So full transparency, my vision for my life was at the time I wanted to be an event planner. I had mm. an event planning company and a little bit of the backstory. This was a 2000, a fall 2013. I was a very uh, stereotypical broke college student, but I was starting my first business and event planning company. And um, at the time I had a lot of mindsets that weren't actually healthy and that weren't going to be a part of the foundation of a successful business, right? Mm -hmm. And one of those unhealthy mindsets was, if you wanna be successful, you can do it alone. And if you're good at something, you should be to do it by yourself. Mm. And so, yeah, girl, like, don't we listen. (laughs) So um, I remember planning my launch party and you know, the city I'm from, Omaha, Nebraska is really small. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people were like, oh, I hear you're starting a business. You know, um, I would love to partner with you on your launch party. You know, we do this and I can help you with this and we do that. Multiple opportunities came about and you know, with that mindset, like, well, if I partner with you and I and I, I let you help contribute this and this to the launch party, and I'm supposed to be an event planner, isn't that going to make me look bad? Mm. So I said no to everybody. Um, 
Fast forward, you know, saved up money, spent a few thousand dollars on a venue, gift bags, food, like the whole shebang. I planned the entire thing by myself. I invited about maybe like 80 to 100 people that I wanted there. And this wasn't like friends and family. This was like potential clients that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I woke up with like the old Kanye attitude, like this is my day, I'm about to shine. Like just, you couldn't tell me nothing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I was crying in the bathroom floor because not a single person on that guest list showed up. Well, besides my, my boyfriend, now husband, and my best friend. But, like, they was just there for support. No one on the guest list of potential clients showed up. Wow. And I was devastated. Like, I did not. They say there's no hit worse than the one you don't see coming. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that one coming at all. And so I'm really big on, um, like, self-reflection and thinking, like, what did I do to contribute to this experience or to this outcome, good mm-hmm. or bad? And so when I finally, like, mentally and then physically got off the ground, you know, for the next few weeks, I was thinking, like, what did I do wrong? And there was a series of mistakes, like, literally first-time business owner um, and didn't really know anyone else who owned a business. And I feel like one of the number one mistakes I made was I did not see the value in brand partnerships or collaborations. Mm -hmm. And if I had said yes to just one of those women they would have been invested in this in the success of this event too and so they would have caught on to the mistakes that i was making that would have ended up in that disaster like okay hold on girl like you didn't make people rsvp you didn't check Mm -hmm. up see they got the invite like simple mistakes Mm -hmm. and so long story short that event uh, or that uh, business did go on to be successful. I ended up working with like the Grammys and NFL Honors Awards. And I was still in Omaha and like flying to LA for events regularly. And then at some point, this is about two to three years in, uh, I got to a place where I hated events. Like I would be at an event that was going flawlessly. Mm. And I would be thinking, I can't wait to go home. Like I just, I felt so detached from it. And it almost happened overnight. And so one day, Left LA, went back home to my city in Omaha, and I was laying in bed at like two or three o'clock in the morning, and I was praying. I was like, I don't think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, if you can make it clear to me, mm. and I had almost like a vision of of a memory, very clear of like that moment on the bathroom floor, and the realization that what contributed to that was your inability to see the value in partnerships and what mm. you're supposed to be doing is connecting women-owned businesses to partnerships nationwide. Mm-hmm. And I could almost see, like as clearly as I can see you, and I have pretty good vision, that's how clearly I saw this at. Wow. Um, so after that, and I didn't know the first thing about where to start, how to start, but I was obedient. And so the next day I took my website down. I didn't take on any more contracts. I finished the ones that I had. And then I want to say within six months, I was in an accelerator program for entrepreneurs building tech products because I didn't know Mm -hmm. I was trying to do all the right things but I was doing them out of order and Mm -hmm. that really um can hurt you like the order in which you you do and execute things can help you or hurt you Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the the backstory so the seed was planted for her headquarters 2013 but we didn't launch until 2019 so it was a very long process Mm -hmm. wow okay so you said a lot yeah right you talked about (laughs) building a business, thinking that you can do everything on your own and how that led you to her headquarters years later. Yeah. Um, Wow. I didn't know that story. So that's very, you know, profound. 
My question for you, though, is when you were leading, when you had the event planning company yeah. and you decided to shut everything down, because I just re recently went through something similar. You know, mm -hmm. I've been a coach and I've been um, providing services through my coaching program, but I realized I did not enjoy it anymore. Yeah. And I shut everything down. And that's crazy to people, especially if outside looking in, they're like, well, your, your business is successful. Right. And you're doing this and like, and I really realized that like you can be good at something naturally. It doesn't mean that it's your calling or your yes. purpose. Yes. And so I, I have not met many people who are like me in the fact that they would just shut it down and be like, nope, I'm done with it. Cause I'm yeah. always, my mom will always say like Tara, when she has a vision, when she knows what she wants to do, she's going to go after it. And when, if that means shutting a business down, that's what I did. So yeah. what were you feeling in that moment where you afraid were you scared or were you just like look god i'm going to follow you i'm going to be obedient and this is what it is um i think looking back i was kind of happy to have an out mm. um because it bothered me when i would be at events and honest to god i was thinking i can't wait to go home i cannot mm -hmm. wait till this is over mm -hmm. and nothing's going wrong you know and and that is kind of uncommon in the event planning world mm -hmm. you know something always is happening right and so when i realized that something i used to enjoy felt like a job i didn't want it anymore mm -hmm. um and so when i kind of had the revelation of like i don't know where to start i don't know what to do or how to do it but i know that this vision god gave me is for me and so i know that that means that he has my back throughout this entire journey so mm -hmm. i felt like yo i'm winning like <laughs> um and i was a little and i was scared and i and i will say like to go from one industry where you know maybe if you're not an expert like you know what you're doing mm -hmm. to go to another industry where you are literally starting at the bottom mm -hmm. i don't have a background in coding i don't have a background in tech like the most tech experience i had was doing my little myspace page back in the day like mm -hmm. that's it you mm -hmm. know so <laughs> to be having conversations with people and in one sentence they're mentioning three or four words that i don't even know because talking about tech you know terminologies and, mm -hmm. and technology terminologies i felt like i almost felt stupid to to a degree I, and I, I wish i could think of another word but i really felt um almost inadequate mm -hmm. and so i had to learn how to embrace learning something. Um, I had to get comfortable and and not being the expert and allow myself to be the student. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Life is a continual journey, right? You have yeah. to constantly be willing and open to learn. And I think that's what makes the most successful or the people who are successful successful is because yeah. you're never afraid to start from the bottom. Yeah. Right. You're never afraid. You may be afraid, but you do it anyway. Yeah. Right. And I think that's really important. And you have, you have to find comfort in learning. You have mm -hmm. to find comfort in like, listen, I know y'all are levels ahead of me, but like mm -hmm. talk to me on my level because right. I don't understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So break this down in simpler terms. And I had to get used to it. And then eventually people that were kind of coaching me and mentoring me be like, okay, Karina, let's say and then they would give like an example of a car and mm -hmm. and 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 i'm like okay i get it now now i understand the importance of why you're suggesting that we do this to the product right versus me just trusting everyone to do everything and i'm not learning like i will never be the cfo i will never be the lead engineer you know what i mean i'm never mm -hmm. going to be any of those things but it doesn't mean that i should not be learning as i grow and lead this company right know enough to be dangerous <laughs> yeah <laughs> right 
So I want to fast forward a few years in, right? How old is her, her headquarters? We'll be three uh, May 2022. Okay. Next month. Okay, perfect. So going on three years old. A whole toddler. A whole toddler, <laughs> right? And you have a baby, so you know about that whole toddler. Yeah. We'll, get, we'll get to the baby as yeah. well. Um, but I want to fast forward to that moment. And so I started off with 90 days in the desert, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so jumping a little bit more into there, there's something that you quoted in the video that you posted with regards to this. And I wrote it down. So oftentimes the breakdown comes right before the breakthrough. Yeah. What was your breakdown moment and what was that breakthrough? Yeah. Um, so for reference, the the 90 days in the desert for me was fall of uh, 2021. Um, I had a baby in May of 2021 and I was very, um, and I know I'm not going to go too deep in this. I know we're going to come back to the baby, but. No, go, go. If, I, if it goes with the story. Yeah. I was so underprepared like we granted we had the nursery set up we had all the materialistic things but mentally and emotionally i underestimated the the depth of the challenge of having a newborn like Mm. i didn't even know until we were in the hospital girl this is so embarrassing i didn't even know until we were in the hospital that you had to feed babies every two hours around the clock wow so when we were in the nursery or in the in the maternity ward i remember the nurse came in and she was like you know well, you know when did you last feed the baby and i was like you know like seven and this was like maybe 10 o'clock mm-hmm. uh, at night and i fed her at 7 p.m and the look on this woman's face was like and she goes you need to feed her and i was like but she ate dinner and she's sleeping mm-hmm. she's like no like you need to feed her every two hours around the clock and mm-hmm. so like i was at the peak of mental and emotional exhaustion um I set a goal in August of last year to fundraise and raise $1.3 million and to raise that by Thanksgiving. I'm mm-hmm. a very ambitious person. I did not realize that that was a little unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I like a good challenge. Mm-hmm. And so there's the postpartum. There is the mental exhaustion. There's the healing from a C-section. There is, um, and, and to clarify with, with my app, you know, our revenue model is very different. If you go into a bakery, right, or to a, a clothing store and you buy a t-shirt or you buy a, a cake or some cupcakes, you are exchanging payment for those cupcakes. You're exchanging payment for those shoes or for that t-shirt. But majority of you guys watching, you have a, a Facebook or an Instagram or a LinkedIn and you don't have to pay every time you use it. Um, you didn't even have to pay to set up an account. Mm-hmm. And so with me having an app, we could have thousands of users, but that doesn't mean we have thousands of people paying. And mm-hmm. so while my company was growing, while the world was like, oh my God, you just got featured in Forbes and you got this and you got that, our revenue was not keeping up with our user-based growth. Got so it. I'm struggling financially behind the scenes. And I'm fundraising and I'm like, at this point, I'm like, I just got my 90th rejection, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm seeing people, are, these investors are coming back to me saying, Karina, you know, you, you need more users or you need more revenue or you need more of this. But then let's keep it real. I'm seeing these white women or these white men being honest online about having a fraction of the growth that I have. If they even have a product and they're raising millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So that combination of everything was starting to get to me. I show up for my job every single day you know what i mean and when i started to feel like i'm giving 150 percent to this and i'm getting progress of two miles an hour and i'm seeing people 
it, it was getting to me. I'll, I'll mm. just be honest. It was starting to get to me. And I'm like, yo, God, I didn't even want to, I want to be an event planner at one point. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then my backup plan was to go into the FBI. So like, I had this whole vision <laughs> for my life. And you called me to go do this. This was your idea. And you mm-hmm. got me out here struggling. Mm. Like, and in, in, in the midst of all this, my husband had a restaurant that got hit really hard by COVID and that had to close down. Wow. And so we have a newborn baby at home. We're struggling financially. He goes back into corporate like. From every single avenue, we were being hit. And um, I was starting to feel like, yo, God, you got me messed up. Like, just just to put it all the way, like, out there. <laughs> tell, like, him, tell him what you said to God. <laughs> Girl, and how you said it. <laughs> I, I had him messed up, you know. Um, <laughs> and I, this is what I feel. I feel like in any relationship, right, if, if it's authentic and if it's real, you should be able to express how you feel, mm-hmm. like 100%. Like, I don't have no real relationship with you, not even God, if I can't just be honest and like, I'm hurting, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, and and I feel like you left me, and that's where I was feeling. And so the the breaking point um, was I had got like rejection number, let's move it up to like 100, and uh, my parents were in town from Seattle, and we I pulled up to my grandparents' house. That's like the gathering spot for the family when they're in town. And um, checked my email, saw rejection number 100, and I'm just still feeling all this stuff. And um, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm tired of being stressed. I'm tired of not being able to pay myself. I'm, I'm this close to losing my team because I can't pay them. Like, just, I'm, I'm tired of it. Like... I would, at that point, I was like, I'd rather have a nine to five and find a way to love something that I know I'm not supposed to be doing if it meant I could have my peace and my sanity back. Mm. Like, people don't realize being a business owner, like, if you just have a, if you're an employee, and I get being a business owner is not for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's not for you, don't, don't jump in the deep end. But if you are an employee, you only have to worry about your job and your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Business owners and CEOs, they have to worry about everything yeah your job their job this person's job um capital and the company's runway and hiring and firing and strategy like all of the weight falls on them and i felt under like i was under a constant pressure 24 7. Mm-hmm. um and i don't have a co-founder i don't have a business partner so it was all me and um i'm sitting and and one of the things that really fueled me was generational wealth like i didn't mm-hmm. grow up with money like we grew up you know low kind of low income sometimes you know Mm -hmm. um my parents did a a great job providing but like we didn't grow up with money and so i always wanted to be to get my kids in in a a private school i wanted to be able to travel the world i wanted to be to pass down knowledge and good health but also millions of dollars to my children so they didn't have struggles that we had Mm -hmm. and it got to the point where i was like you know a guy like if they got to struggle a little bit it's not too bad like I, i wasn't even driven by the generational wealth anymore but I was sitting outside my grandparents' house, and I was praying, and I said, like, God, this was um, mid-November. I said, if something does not happen by the end of the month, if you don't open up a door that's going to make it easier for me to do the job that you called me to do, I'm done with this company. I already had the plan of taking down the app. Mm-hmm. I had a plan of how I was going to tell my employees. I, I had a plan for everything, the mm-hmm. public statement, and then dip out and go live my best life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that wasn't a threat. I wholeheartedly meant that. Like, I'm tired of mentally and emotionally and financially and spiritually struggling. So if you can't throw me a a life raft, then I'm done. Mm -hmm. And then I went in the house, dried up my tears. My parents like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm good. How y'all doing? Mm. Uh, Two weeks later, 
I got an email from the investors that ended up putting six figures into the company. And they said, we want to meet with you. We heard about you from such and such. And that was after how many rejections? By the time I got that email, it was just over 100, like between 100 and 115. Now, what do you, what? Just thinking back to that, right? Because you were at your breaking point. You were ready yeah. to quit. You were, yeah. you had everything planned yeah. to shut it down. I right? was mentally prepared to right. quit. Yeah, I was. I was even starting to look, you know, like look at little jobs and get excited about, you know, like PTO and the lunch break. Like I didn't right. want it, but I was like, I'm gonna find a way to love this, even if right. I know it's not for me. Right. How did it feel when you got that email? To be honest, I was in such a deep place that. I thought, okay, like, let me do this little meeting. You know, like, they're probably going to say no to, like, I was, wasn't even optimistic. Oh, you optimistic. weren't even optimistic? No. Okay, I didn't so even the email have... didn't say, like, oh, we want to give you six figures. It no, was, no, it was, let's, we want to meet with you. Oh, uh, um, okay. Another investor previously, um, or a partner at a, a venture firm, she said, like, basically, we would love to invest, but you're not there yet. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I'm going to introduce you to this firm over here because I think that they would be willing to invest in you earlier. Mm -hmm. And so she reached out to them and then they reached out to me, but I wasn't even optimistic about it. They did end up like making the commitment to invest, I believe, on December 23rd. Mm -hmm. And then we were in the negotiations period for another month. Um, so we actually didn't like sign the paperwork and get the funds until early february so there was still like two month two and a half month period um mm -hmm. but yeah even that first meeting like i wasn't optimistic because i have been kicked so much that i was mm -hmm. like you know let me do this little meeting real quick like just really dismissive of it i still showed up smiled mm -hmm. did what i was supposed to do but at some point i realized yo i think they like kind of serious <laughs> and I was like oh you really came through like because I was really about to quit I wasn't playing with you mm -hmm. um hey if you want to figure out how to go from being a frantic founder to a founder in the flow then you better go ahead and get on my email list take the quiz to find out where you are currently in the founder's journey how it impacts your marketing and I'll send you information straight to your inbox that is known to get you in flow, keep you in flow and get consistent customers and cash flow coming to your company. So go ahead and take the quiz. It's linked in the show notes and I will see you next time. So what happened in the investor meeting? Like what was the what for people who don't know, like when you go to investors, how do those meetings sort of go? Yeah. Um, I think it can be different for every firm or every investor that you talk to, but there are some commonalities. They just kind of want to know a little bit about like your backstory. So like, why are you doing this? I think that investors really tend to prefer founders that have some type of personal story or connection to the problem versus I thought of this great idea and I have no emotional attachment to it. Because mm -hmm. if you have an attachment to the problem and you personally experienced it, you are a little bit more passionate about it. They, a lot of them feel, which I personally do agree with. So it's, you know, what's your background? Tell us about your company. Like, where are you at right now as a company? What are your metrics? Who are your customers? You know, and, and what's your strategy to, to grow this company? What's your vision for it? Um, so that was kind of the first meeting with them. Um, and then eventually we moved into due diligence. And, and with that phase, they're basically kind of making sure that there's nothing that comes up on you or on the company that should make them not invest. Mm -hmm. So they're not just taking your word for it. I could be like, oh, we have X number of customers and we make this much a month and okay. But then when they enter due diligence, you have to back that up. Mm -hmm. So you're providing statements, you're providing um, you know, access to your, your system so they can basically verify like, 
what are you saying? They want a deeper dive into your marketing strategy. So maybe during your first meeting, you're giving them a couple minutes overview, like over the next 24 months, we plan to do this. Mm -hmm. But what the marketing plan during the due diligence stage, they wanted, I believe, a three-year marketing plan. Mm -hmm. Um, What have you tried before? What worked? What didn't work? Um, What's your customer acquisition cost? Um, How much does it take you to uh, acquire a customer? And then how many customers will you need how many paying customers will you need to hit 100 million in revenue? Um, mm-hmm. And then they wanted resumes and executive summaries on everyone on the team. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a process. So I want to go back a little bit because I don't know if you noticed about me. I had an app back in the day. No, I, started I didn't an know app. that. I had an app. It was a nail polish app. It was called Shades. Okay. And it was to help women of color fine nail polishes that complemented their skin tone. Okay. Right? The undertone. Because, you know, warm, Mm -hmm. cool, neutral, all that stuff. Um, I didn't get so far as 100 no's. I got one no. And then I was like, am I really that passionate about this? Mm." Because I'm very, you know, self-reflective as you are. And I was like, no, I'm not really that passionate about it. So let me just kind of table this. So It's good that you caught that early, though. Yeah. And I'm very, and like I said earlier, I'm very quick to be like, oh, no, I'm done. Shut it down. Yeah. Um, so I shut down the app, but just hearing you say that you got a hundred no's, right? And then also hearing you talk about people who were not of color that had less traction than you yeah. in the space, barely had an app, probably didn't mm-hmm. even have an MVP, right? That yep. were getting fully funded. Yeah. Millions of dollars, right? Yeah. I want to talk about that. And I also used to work for a tech startup mm-hmm. that was led by, um, you know, people of non-color. Yeah. So I want to talk about um, what do you feel is a problem in the tech space as far as, or just in general, as far yeah. as funding is concerned, especially for women of color? Um, that still stings me, to be honest. And I'm trying mm. to get past a place where it doesn't. You know, mm. like I, I, I keep reminding myself, like, what's for you is for you. You know, can't yep. nobody take what's yours, blah, 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 blah all them little sayings, but like as a human who works hard, it does bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not where I want to be at in that journey of just like, okay, don't worry about them, worry mm-hmm. about you. But th- there are definitely multiple factors to that. The biggest factor is a lot of the decision makers at these firms are white men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't tell you the number of times I pitched to a venture firm and all the partners are white men. Um, and so number one, they don't even really connect to the problem I so- I'm solving. Like mm-hmm. they've never been a woman. They have, most of them probably have never worked at a woman owned business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they don't have experience with the problem that you are solving, and a lot of times women, especially women of color, they're solving problems that typically impact uh, minorities in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And so if they can't connect to that, and, and if there's no one in the room to check their bias, mm-hmm. they're going to continue to invest in who they know mm-hmm. um, or, or who looks like them. And I think some people are very aware of the bias that they have. And then some people, they think that they are for the advancement and they really aren't, are not, you know? Yeah, <laughs> they're um, faking. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's a big problem. I think that it's uh, what they call it, the good old boys club. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of funding go to white males or, you know, they went to Ivy League schools. And, like, there are founders out there with genius companies, with profitable companies that could get some funding that would scale them and help them maximize their impact that 
did not go to, um, you know, uh, a Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. They don't live in San Francisco or New York City. So they're automatically for a lot of these funds overlooked. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's a series of issues, but we need more people in the room who look like us, mm -hmm. women and people of color, and then women who are minorities. Like, it's, it's a multi-tiered problem. Whose responsibility do you think it is to get more people of color in the room? That's a great question. I think it's everyone's responsibility. And, mm -hmm. and I think that um, from the perspective of like, okay, you, you know, you didn't made it, whatever that means to you, you know, you're, you're successful, now you have wealth. And I'm talking about you as in like a, a person of color. Mm -hmm. I do think if you are aware of the problems and the disadvantages and, and, and the gaps in wealth and opportunities for people of color, you are a part of the problem if you do not pay it for and help open that door for other people, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe that doesn't mean going and joining this VC firm. Maybe it means starting your own. Maybe mm -hmm. it means starting your own nonprofit or, or giving money to corporations and firms and, 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 and venture companies that are intentional and, and have the track record, mm -hmm. okay, because don't fall for statements, fall for results, okay? Yeah. How many people have you invested in that identify as women or people of color? So mm -hmm. the people who do make it from the, the demographic of women or people of color um, who have the opportunity to give back, they need to be more intentional with how they give back and, and fact-checking these companies they get their money to. And then I think white men the ones who are quote woke they need to check these other white boys like the ones who are quote woke yeah are they really woke that's why i said quote. okay all right just the, the ones who got a <laughs> who got a little bit of awareness and mm -hmm. have a genuine desire to help mm -hmm. talk to these talk to these boys at the golf club you know what mm -hmm. i mean like talk to them at the cigar bar and, and when y'all doing these fancy meetings like we need to don't don't just I'm so sorry to hear about your experiences, Tara. Mm -hmm. Talk to Bob mm -hmm. about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Talk to Robert. Like, do that. Mm -hmm. Don't don't pity me. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I feel. So I'm gonna tell you a story. I had an encounter with a quote unquote woke white man. Um <laughs> and instead of him taking that and going to talk to Bob, he asked me what would I do if I was in his position. And so I think a lot of times the quote unquote woke ones are not really actually woke. That's why I asked you. What that did question. you say to him? What did you say back to Let that? Let me think. This so this was during the pandemic, like hot in May. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think my response to him was, I'm not responsible to tell you what to do in this situation. Yeah. You need to figure it out. That's something along those lines. Yeah. And then, of course, a couple uh, uh, the week later, there was like an email that went out to the company um, saying what he was going to do, the action steps he was going to take. The company then set up a um, like a what are those companies like an affinity group yeah. for the black people at the company. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to be a part of it. And I said, no, I <laughs> politely declined. Um, and I knew I knew what was going to happen. I yeah. knew what was going to happen. So at that point, it felt performative to me. Yeah. Right. So that's why I asked you that question. Like, who? It's no right or wrong answer, right? Yeah. I think we do all have responsibility in this fight, but to expect the quote unquote woke ones to take responsibility, I think that's a little bit. Yeah, I think that's. We're I, don't there think yet. It, I don't. I don't. I yeah. don't think we're there yet. I don't yeah. think they're there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation with with someone who is um, 
supposedly an ally for her headquarters. And I will say one thing that I have learned, especially for us people of color and, and women, be careful of um, people's intentions. Like mm. people might come to you to, to join the bandwagon of supporting you in whatever way, shape, or form it might be. Um, now everyone who is watching you is cheering for you, remember that. Mm. And then number two, even some of the people who approach you to support you, um, just use some discernment and make sure that like they are supporting you for the right reasons and you're not the trophy black person for them to um, parade around. Like, look mm-hmm. at, you know, I helped this person with this. But um, I, I definitely think I have someone like that um, in, I'm trying to choose my words very carefully. I understand. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I have someone like that, unfortunately, in our support network. Um, mm. And I did not realize it at first. It kind of became clear, I want to say like about a year to a year and a half after they started um, affiliating with us in whatever capacity they did. And mm-hmm. it was really disappointing. And it made me it made me realize that I need to do a better job of selecting who we work with and um, getting an idea of their intentions, but also like, doing my due diligence on them. Mm-hmm. Who have we worked with before? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk to them. I want to do reference checks because it's not just about are they a good fit for, am I a good fit for them, mm-hmm. but are you a good fit for us? For us? Yep. yep. And I think people need to realize and remember that, you know, I, I think I gave this example the other day, like we live in a world where people are guilty by association, period. Mm-hmm. Like you could have a stainless character, mm-hmm. but if, if someone you work with or, you know, you bring someone into your company as an advisor or an investor, or you partner with the wrong person and it comes out that this person has, you know, they they are abusive, you know what I mean? Domestic violence charges or, you know, pedophilia, or they out here embezzling money, that put a stain on you too. Right. And I didn't realize that until... A little bit later, I was like, I don't think I like your character too much. So did you do the due diligence on that person after the fact and find out that there were some potential stains that... Nope. No. Okay. Um, I, when this person and I started working together, um, and they are not an employee, uh, but when we started working together a few years ago, I was in a bind. And so... Mm. I kind of felt like my back was in a corner and it was, I kind of just was focused on this is what we need and this is what you have and let, let's just do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, and, and and to clarify, this person, you know, nothing like just, it's their attitude and their mindset that I don't like, especially with me being a black woman and certain comments that have been made. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't really support me. Like, and I just realized it was one of those situations where like, it makes me look good. Mm. to to work with to you. be associated yeah got it it was one of those <laughs> situations and it was so and it was said to me in the most blatant disrespectful to my face type scenario like that I was almost speechless like, I didn't even know what to say because I was just like wow mm. so mm. be very careful of that yes what are some tips that you would give people to do due diligence like how do you do some thorough due yeah diligence on um we live in the world of social media. Start with the social media first. You know, a lot of times you're so used to checking people's LinkedIn professionally that you're going to get a whole lot more insight if you're checking their Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, That's I, what those jobs are doing anyway for the career girls. Yeah. They're I, looking on your Facebook and your Instagram, so do the yeah. same thing. I'll give you a real example. Um, 
someone I know, she uh, was kind of doing like some matchmaking. So like if companies said, hey, you know, we need um, a, a marketing executive or we're looking for an investor, or we're looking for an advisor. She was essentially like the connector. Right? She said, okay, so I told her we are looking for an investor that can invest this amount, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And she ended up coming back to me with, okay, you need to meet such and such. You know, he's invested in companies before. He can give you at least, you know, a hundred thousand, blah, 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 blah. And it was funny because when she was talking and you, if you're a company and you need money and you hear, oh, such and such could easily invest 100000 Most people would be like, yes, connect me today, but I want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. But something told me, she said, do you want me to go ahead and introduce you know, your company to him and, and send over the, uh, could we have like a one-pager introduction document? Mm-hmm. And something told me to tell her no. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that feeling was coming from, but I said, well, no, let me, just let me check into it first. Mm-hmm. I looked him up, his, uh, in, his Facebook was actually public. And the first few posts was, you know, family, whatever. I got to scrolling back to um, the timeline of when George Floyd was killed. Mm. His post was nothing but N-word this and N-word that, and that's what he gets, and he got himself killed, and when were these N-words learned, and all of this stuff. And I was like, but you go to his LinkedIn, it's clean, it's professional, mm-hmm. it's, and so people tend to, especially on LinkedIn, to get the more polished, professional version of themselves. They feel safer to be them uh, true, authentic selves on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so I would start with check their LinkedIn, but like check their personal social media is number one. Um, do reference checks. So like ask them for maybe one or two references, but then also. If you see in, in your search that this person has worked with this person or this person has worked with this company, also check references of people that they did not give to you. Mm-hmm. Because no one's going to be like, oh, I gave her a bad experience, so I'm going to pass her name along. No, you're not going to mention that person that you know has something bad to say about you. Mm-hmm. But you want a full verse, well-rounded review of what is it like to work with this person and, mm-hmm. and ask questions like, you know, in what ways have they helped you? If you knew now what you knew about this person when you guys first started working together, would you work with him or her again and why? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the caliber of the partnership, maybe doing a background check. Um, I don't think that's always necessary, but if this is going to be a long time partnership and they're going to help be like a huge face of your company, like, you want to make sure they ain't been trafficking drugs and all, mm-hmm. all this type of crazy stuff. Um, so I would say those are definitely some starting places. Got it. So we talked loosely about what her headquarters is. Yeah. Now I want you to give us the official what yeah, is yeah. Her, her headquarters. Yeah. Okay. So her headquarters is an app catered to women-owned businesses and their teams. Um, and when I say teams, I mean uh, men and women on the teams. And essentially... Via our app, we help them identify brand partnership opportunities that are a great fit for the company based off of their preferences. So let me give an actual story of like what that actually means and what that looks like. Uh, we had a user in Houston who had a full service salon and during COVID, non-essential businesses have to close down. And so most people don't consider the salon an essential business. And so her doors were closed and she's kind of freaking out like, I don't know how long, you know, we're going to be closed for, I need to make money. And so she thought of a really creative idea and she wanted to uh, create limited edition at-home spa day kits. And mm-hmm. she wanted to partner with another woman-owned business, ideally within the beauty or, or um, skincare industry. 
So she gets on her on our app and she posts, you know, I want to partner with another business. I want to create limited edition at home spa day kits. Um, this is what I'm going to contribute to the partnership. This is how I'm looking for this business to contribute to the partnership. And these are the perks. We're going to split the revenue. It's going to boost both of our exposure online, et cetera, et cetera. Another user um, in San Francisco had a skincare business and she's just scrolling through the app one day and she sees this opportunity and she's like, this is a perfect fit for my business. These two businesses came together from Houston and San Francisco. They created these spa day kits that were limited edition. They both, uh, you know, they made thousands of dollars on selling these because they marketed to their audience online, email newsletters, all of that. And they discovered each other through her headquarters. So our users, um, we see everything from social media agencies to event planning companies, fashion brands, event planners, like everything that you can think of. And the one thing they all have in common despite their industry or their location is they want to use partnerships to grow their business and specifically partnering with women-owned businesses in their teams. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example? So for my audience, which is product-based founders and entrepreneurs, can you give an example of how they would be able to leverage that? Yeah. So let me think of a product-based business. Let's say, oh, let's say you own um, a juice company or you make juices and smoothies, right? A potential partnership for you might be um, if you, obviously you wanna get your product out there, get more customers, get more exposure. Maybe there is a business that's doing a pop-up and they want products there for in, in, in food and drinks for their guests to enjoy. Or maybe it's a conference. That is a potential partnership that you can discover in her headquarters. Mm -hmm. Get your product at this pop-up, get your product at this conference, and in exchange you're getting the exposure their pro their customers and their attendees are you know getting to consume your products and and one thing about our platform something cool that we're introducing is actually um partnership levels and so mm -hmm. we have a really diverse user base where some of our users are in their first couple of years of business and then you know we have some women who's had businesses around for like seven ten years or longer mm -hmm. so really different stages and based off of the stage that you're at in business that might determine the resources that you have so what we're about to do is introduce partnership levels so maybe if you are a more established business and you have you know bigger budgets and you're looking for higher value partnerships you can filter by not just location and preferences, but also partnership values. But if you're a smaller business, you're like, hey, I only have a $200 budget for a partnership, but I still want something mutually beneficial. You can filter and you can see partnerships that have lower values, but that are still mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. So I truly believe because I've you know known you since the beginning or yeah. in the beginning stages of her headquarters, I truly believe that this is the next billion dollar tech company. And I'm intentionally not just calling it an app because I understand in the tech world, you may start somewhere yeah. and end up somewhere else. So I know you just shared a little bit about what's That makes me happy come. to hear someone who looks like me say that. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly believe in Thank what you. you are doing with her headquarters, the app, everything. Um, in that billion dollars. Plus, yeah. plus, 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 yep. right? Multiple billions of dollars, yep. right? And then we're going to start a VC fund and invest in you women know, who look like you us. You know what? We need to talk about that because I literally do want to start a VC fund. Yeah, so we too. can talk. Yeah. We're we going to have that sidebar yeah. offline. Um, but yes, with her headquarters, what's next? Like, what are you looking? And I'm not saying short term, maybe five to 10 years. Because mm. I know the roadmap is already yeah, laid yeah. out. What's next for her headquarters? Um, I'm trying to think of what I can share. Which you can share, right, because a lot of stuff is proprietary. Yeah, so I say what I can share is that we are coming out with the desktop version. One nice. thing that we hear a lot is like, 
girl, I'm not trying to do all this typing on my phone. Like, mm-hmm. um, so we're, we're going to make it easier for our users and, and their teams to use the app by launching a desktop version, uh, targeted to come out later this fall. Um, let's see what else I would say launching internationally is something, um, the year that we launched, one thing that we had on our website was, a. Uh, like request her headquarters in your city because we originally only released the app in specific um, cities in the U.S. And I'm expecting the the forms to be like, you know, released in Chicago, released in Dallas. No, 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 no. I was saying we want you in Cape Town, Africa. We need mm-hmm. you in Melbourne, Australia. You know, we need you in London. And granted, I always wanted to go international, but like we just launched we're not there yet we got to master mm-hmm. our market first um so definitely i would say releasing an international market is on our uh plans but ultimately my big vision for her headquarters is to become a company that women-owned businesses and their teams can depend on for quality partnerships mm-hmm. um we want to roll out the we want to roll out corporate partnerships so giving these small women-owned businesses the opportunity to partner with the nikes and the l'oreal's and the coca-colas through her headquarters so that's something that we're working on mm-hmm. um but i want it to be like you know you ain't checked the app in three days you know because you've been busy in life and traveling and you're like dang like i'm so mad i know i didn't miss at least three twenty thousand dollar partnerships like Mm -hmm. that's what we're working on my vision is impact Mm -hmm. um i want to be able to sit down from women-owned businesses and they say after i started using her headquarters our business grew our team grew because i secured partnerships through your app that opened up doors and broke glass ceilings for my company Mm -hmm. um that's that's my vision, and that includes a. And I'm happy you said tech company because I definitely want to expand outside of tech. Yeah. Not going to share how just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's my vision: just global impact and um, making it easier for these women to build generational wealth through the partnerships that they secured, that just accelerated the growth of their companies. I love this, and I'm so excited, and I'm so glad you shared just a little bit of what yeah, you yeah. share. Um, so last question. Mm-hmm. How is family life now? Man, I miss my baby. Like I know you're traveling. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I left the uh, the airport um, from I left Omaha a few days ago, and it was typically like pre baby Karina. Mm-hmm. I'm like I can't wait to get out of Omaha. I'm going to L. A. I'm going to Atlanta. Like just I'm out here, hot girl summer, like all of that, right? And this time I was tearing up at the airport. Like I did not want to leave my baby. And I, I've been sneak looking at the baby monitor, like just obsessing, <laughs> but I'm very grateful. This experience of like being away for the first time since I've had a baby um, makes me really grateful for my husband. Like mm. he's holding it down and I was, you know, now that he's back, you know, doing the nine to five, mm. I was telling him, I feel so bad because I'm gonna be traveling so much this year for work and you had to request all that time off to, to have the baby. And mm. he said, Karina, we're a team. He said, like, you're doing your part and I'm doing my part. And don't feel bad. Like, do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know some people who don't have that type of support system or don't have that type of partner. So, like, I'm very, very, very grateful. Um, we celebrate our theory anniversary this year. Yes. Um, my baby turns one this year. We got a whole safari theme party with yes. the animals and stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for what I have. I'm so happy for you. I'm Thank so you. happy that... You continued to walk through the desert, yeah. and now you're out. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go back either. Yeah, don't. Don't. I don't I mean, everyone go back. You, but we, like, you know, right. Yeah. Right. It'll be on under different circumstances. Yeah. Right. Yeah. On your own terms. Yeah. Right. But I'm um, grateful for everything. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Karina. Thank Tell you. the people where they can find you, her headquarters. Yeah. Um, we are everywhere except Snapchat and TikTok. Don't I'm I'm gonna get on it, I promise. <laughs> um, but like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, it's um, all her headquarters. And then if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, it's Karina Glover. And if you want to connect with me on Instagram, it is her name is Karina. And that is it. Thank you so much. Thank you I for having me. You, and I'll see y'all on the next episode. Now that's a wrap for this week's episode of Found the Flow. I sincerely hope you feel more aligned regardless where you are on this journey. I've centered this show around my hopes that you find a safe space as you navigate your growth. Make sure to share this on your favorite social platform. Tag me while you're figuring out what being in flow means to you and share this with your people because you really never know who can get something from the message. Until next week, may you find the flow.